Well, again, good evening. Good to see you guys. Um, my name's John. If you're watching online, we're glad to be seen by you. And a lot of people like to watch online uh, before they check out a church. So if that's you, thanks for watching. And uh, for the rest of us here, um, we are in part four of our series called um, So What About? Exploring the problems of Christianity, the questions people have of Christianity. And we call this a conversation, but as you see, um, it would be awkward for you to talk to me while I am talking right now, right? That would just be weird. But we want to have a conversation with you. And so in the seat in front of you, in those welcome cards that you have there, on the back is a little box that says, so what about? And as I'm, as I'm talking tonight, if you have any questions about anything I say, or it brings up another question you have about Jesus or Christianity or something like that, write it on that card, and then after service, go to the info table and just drop that card in there, and we will uh, continue the conversation uh, through email this week, and we'll get back to you. If you're watching online, you can do the exact same thing. We got an email today, actually. And um, just, you can go to where it says, watch a message where you're watching this right now, and you can say, ask a question. And you can ask any question you have. What would be cool is if you are watching, sorry guys, just give me one second, okay? If you are watching online, do, would you do me a favor? We're trying to, ta not tailor, but we're trying to make your experience online the best possible. Could you just email us, whether you have a question or not, say you're watching and what day you're watching on and where you're watching from. And that will really help us make this a better experience for you, okay? Thanks. Okay, back to you guys. And when you're watching online, you can let us know that you watched as well. We, it's really helpful to know, okay, so who's watching and when and how can we, anyway. So, so what about? Our challenge this, throughout this series, we're in part four of a six-part series, which means we're halfway through. Uh, our challenge this week, or this series, was to follow where the evidence leads, not where we hope it leads. Because I think we all have, you know, our, our predisposition to believe certain things and ask other things. And as we saw, asking questions is, you know, the key to knowledge. You've got to ask the right questions. But you have to follow where the evidence leads, not just where you hope it leads. And so that's what we've been doing for the last, last three weeks. And we're going to continue doing that this week. Looking at, um, you know, maybe there hasn't been like a, a rock solid, hey, this is the reason you should believe Christianity. But what we've been doing is adding up the clues, adding up the clues, following the trail, and seeing where it leads. And I think what we've been finding is that the evidence that we've been looking at seems to be stacking in favor of all of this Jesus stuff actually being something worthwhile. Maybe at the very least worthwhile to look into, right, and see where you actually stand on all of it. Throughout, throughout this, we've been kind of using a book to guide us, a book written by a guy named Mark Clark. The book is called The Problem of God, a highly highly recommend it, but uh, that's kind of our, been our framework that we've been following. And another, one of our things that we started with, one of the facts that we started with was this, that everyone has a belief system. We all have a belief system. If you're watching and somebody's like, hey, you need to watch this because we were having this discussion about atheism or whatever, even if you're, say, an atheist, you have a belief system, right? You say, well, I don't, I don't believe in God, I believe science answers all of our questions. I believe science answers, that's a belief system, right? If you're Buddhist, you have a belief system. If you're agnostic, you say, I don't know. I don't know what's there. I, I believe we could never know. That's a belief system. We all have some belief system where how we answer the questions of life, how we answer why is there something in this universe instead of nothing. 
why, you know, why you do what you do, why you choose to do what you do, why you choose to not do what you don't do is a belief system. Even though, you know, sometimes you still do what you choose to not do, you get what I'm saying? Right, you still do it even though you say you shouldn't do it. We're gonna talk about that next week when we talk about hypocrisy, the problem with hypocrisy, we're talking about that next week. But we all have a belief system. It's what guides your life. It's how you make sense of your life. What we're going to talk about tonight is this. No matter what your belief system, every belief system has to answer the question of evil and suffering. Every belief system has to answer this question. It's the big question when it comes to life, when it comes to, you know, how do we make sense of the world? Why is there evil and suffering? And then what do we do about it? It's not a, it's not a question we can ignore. We can't just be like, oh, you know, that's no big deal. It doesn't affect me, because it does, right? It affects everybody. In fact, what's, we're going we're to talk about this a little bit. What's your answer? Why is there evil and suffering? And what do we do about it? See, each of us has to wrestle with that question. And we need to see if our belief system actually holds water, if it can stand up to the challenge of the biggest question. And in fact, this question, why is there evil and suffering, is a huge problem a lot of people have with Christianity. And it's, it's not an old question either. In fact, Scottish philosopher David Hume in the 18th century asked this very famous, maybe you've, you've heard it or you've said it yourself, this very famous question. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? then he's impotent. He has no power. He can't do anything. Is he able but not willing? Then he is male... male I practiced this and I screwed up. Male that word. If he can do it and does nothing, that word means evil, by the way. Is he both able and willing? Well, if he is, then why is there evil? You say, I don't know how to answer that. How, what? I mean, that's a fair question, right? If there is a good God who loves us, like we say all the time, God is for you, he's not against you, then why is there evil and suffering? Why did you have to go through that? Why did they have to deal with this? Why did they pass away? It wasn't even their time. It's a fair question. It's an objection that's been around for thousands of years. Here's the thing, though, and this is the most logical argument I've, I've heard for this, logical explanation for this. That actual question is based on faulty reasoning. It's not truly a logical question when you actually think through it. Um, a, a pastor named Timothy Keller, one of our, you know, the the, one of the Christian philosophers of our time, one of the deepest thinkers I've read next to C.S. Lewis and those types of guys, but Timothy Keller said this, just because you can't see or imagine a good reason why God might allow something to happen, it doesn't mean there can't be one. Just because we can't think of a good reason God would let that happen, that doesn't mean there isn't a good reason. And he goes on. If you have a God great and transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil and suffering in the world, then you have at the same moment a God great and transcendent enough to have good reasons for allowing it to continue that you can't know. If there's a God that's so great and powerful and wonderful that he, he could stop evil, well, then he's powerful, good enough to have a reason to not stop it, right? And we're actually going to talk about that 
a little bit. And so I just answered our question. We're good. And I'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Don't forget to be for Salem. But here's the thing. This question of evil and suffering, it's not an academic, not just an academic question, is it? It's not just a philosophical question. Like, oh, thank you for that, you know, that great logical argument. Now, you know, when bad things happen to me, I'll be fine. It'll be great. You know that, that when, my, when my dad died when I was 16, I'm not mad about that anymore. I'm good. Thanks for the argument, Tim Keller. Appreciate it. See, it's not. See, the question of evil and suffering is intensely personal. This is not just a philosophical question. You can't just answer this with some logical argument because it is deeply, intensely personal. We've all experienced evil. We've all experienced suffering. It's a question we've all asked in some way. Why does this happen? In fact, one of my earliest memories is sitting in a funeral for one of my friends. He was 10 years old. He was struck by a drunk driver walking home from school with his friends. So what am I, we, we've all experienced this. In fact, if that boy had grown up, he would have been my brother-in-law. We've all had this in our life. Somebody, some tragedy, some suffering. And we say, why? Why is that? Why is this happening? You know, I've been with families in the first days of losing somebody unexpectedly. And there's just that, there's no, this, you know, why? Uh, there's no answer. All you can do is just be there and feel it with them and be with them and say, no, we are, we're together in this. If I'm, you know, if I'm with a family who's lost a family member, or if I'm, you know, dealing with, when I say, hey, by the way, you know, God's good, so this will be fine. Oh, thank you. That makes me sense. No, right? Logic and philosophy is not going to help with this. It just, it doesn't help in those times. So I want to do something a little bit different tonight than we've been doing. You know, I've been offering arguments and that type of stuff, facts and following the evidence and that type of stuff throughout this series. I want to do something just a little bit differently. I want to look at many of the major popular belief systems in the world today. And so I want to look at how they answer the problem of evil and suffering. And then we'll, and then we'll look at Christianity, a little healthy comparing and contrasting. Can you like, oh no, he's going he's to beat up. No, I'm not. It's going to be respectful. I'm going to try to. We're not going to be belittling. We're not going to be bashing other belief systems. I'm going to do my best to, to present the true theme, the major themes of these popular belief systems, kind of like a general overview. Now, as we're talking about these different belief systems, how they answer the problem of evil and suffering, we have to keep this in mind, because we're talking about belief systems. We're not talking about individual people, because not everyone acts consistently with their belief system. Not everyone acts consistently with their belief system. Whatever your belief system is, you know you don't always act consistently with it, right? See, so we're, when I'm talking about, you know, uh, we'll talk about Hinduism. You know, Hinduism teaches this. Not every person who says, I'm a Hindu, follows that to a T. But what we're talking about is their overall general teaching of why there is evil and suffering and what we do about it. Does that make sense? So we're not bashing. We're not saying, oh, well, that person I'm thinking of is wrong. I'm going to send them this and John's going to get them. That's not why we're here. That's not why we created Cross Creek. If you're doing that, knock it off. Hey, if you're watching online and your friend gave you this because they wanted to win an argument, email me and I'll talk to them. Anyway, so not everyone, not everyone follows or acts consistently with their belief system. So, 
Now, I'm going to go through a few major world belief systems. If I go too fast, I'm just giving a quick, quick overview of each one. The, these notes will be online. You can be like, okay, what did he say about Buddhism? Then we'll, you can go online, check out the notes, go on yourcrosscreek.com, and click um, watch a message, and it says transcript, and that's what I'm using right now to talk to you guys. So, so the first belief system we're going to talk about is Buddhism. Buddhism. What, do they, what does Buddhism teach about suffering and evil. Well, it teaches that suffering is the result of attachment. Being, being too attached to this world. You know, if you, if you are upset that somebody stole something from you or you're upset that your, your house burned down, it's because you were too attached to that house. You were too attached to your belongings. You're too attached to, uh, to people, right? If you're upset, if you're suffering that somebody died, well, you had too much attachment to it. If you're, if you're upset that you, know, you, you got sick, you had too much attachment to your, to, your, to your health. And you transcend suffering through detachment, being de- detached. If you kill desire, you don't want anything, you're not attached to anything in this world, then you no longer long for anything, and therefore there's no suffering. If you can su- successfully kill desire, Buddhism teaches, and detach from this world, then you experience Nirvana, not Kirk, not Kirk Cobain, which is great to experience as well, but release from the cycle of rebirth and a complete release of desires, suffering, and a sense of self. You're detached from everything, even your own self. So if you are suffering, you are too attached to yourself and you're too attached to the world. That's a brief overview of what Buddhism answers for uh, evil and suffering. How about Islam? Right? Major religion in the world. What does Islam teach about evil and suffering? Islam teaches that suffering is from Allah, or God. Suffering is from Allah. In fact, it's either a consequence for sin, or it's a test for the faithful to see, okay, how closely do you submit to Allah? Are you truly a, 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 a uh, what's the word? I will go with follower. Are you truly a follower or a, a, a submitter to Allah? And how do you overcome suffering? Submission to Allah, right? If you're, if you're suffering as a result of, you know, you sinned, therefore now Allah is punishing you. Well, how do you avoid that? Submitting to Allah, right? We could also probably call that the religious answer. Right? A lot of people think, hey, why, why did this bad thing happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? Right, we'll talk about that with karma as well. It's kind of a similar idea. And speaking of which, Hinduism. I know I'm going fast, the notes are online. Right? Hinduism, major religion in India and, and around the world. Evil and suffering are a result of karma. You're getting, if you are suffering, if you are hurting, if something bad happens to you, you are getting what you deserve based on your actions in previous lives. Right? What comes around goes around. You know, we've all kind of, you know, good people who do good things reap good, good lives. And here's kind of the flip side of karma. If you help someone who is suffering, then you're interfering with their karma. So all suffering in, in this belief system is deserved. And there's no point in changing it. In fact, there's no point in trying to make people's lives better because you're interfering with them, with their, with their, their karmic um, cycle. In fact, it's one of the, and I'm not bashing again, it's, it's Follow the evidence. 
One of the major reasons, this is one of the major reasons the majority of benevolent work in India is done by Christian groups who come in and say, no, there's, no, it's not because of their past lives. They are suffering and we can do something to help it. In fact, uh, in, in the book, The Problem of God, Mark Clark, the author, he tells a story of actually going to India and you know, having the tour guide and that type of thing. And as you can imagine, in major cities, there's, there's always people begging, right? There's the poor, there's the sick, and there's people looking for money, people looking for food. And their tour guide said, don't help them. And he says, what? No, I, I want to help these people. They're poor. I'm, I have money. I, I, I can make their life a little bit better, even for today. He said, don't help them. Because if you, if you relieve their suffering, they will have to live this suffering over again in the next life. So let them go through what they deserve so they don't have to do it again in the next life. And Mark's, Mark's conclusion is, well, we have it quoted for you. Mark's conclusion was this, and I'm just follow it to its obvious conclusion. The religious idea of karma, and we've all kind of felt this karma idea, right? If I do good things, good things happen. Anyway, the religious idea of karma justifies and even legitimizes suffering in this world. At best, it's a form of denial. And at worst, it helps continue this vicious cycle. Well, I don't have to help them because obviously they screwed up in their past life and I'm well off, so I did good. And I'm not gonna interfere because, well, then they'd just have to do it again and that would be cruel. So I don't have to help the poor. I don't have to help the sick. Now, again, remember, not everyone acts consistently with their belief system. There are Hindus who help people, right? Not every Hindu says, well, I'm not gonna help them because of, but what Hinduism teaches is that you shouldn't relieve suffering because it'll interfere. How about this one? This one's very popular in the United States. You call it new age, or I call it uh, spirituality. This is how you, this is how you, know, you know this belief system. People say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Right? Maybe you've heard that, maybe you've said that. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. It's a very eclectic belief system. It encompasses many different ideas. Uh, it borrows from Eastern religions. A little bit of Christianity goes in there. And in fact, it's, it's very common for, for church-going Christian people to incorporate this idea of spiritual spirituality or new age into their Christian belief system. It's, it's, a, it's a pantheistic belief where all is one and all is God. We're all connected in that way, right? It's an idea of practicing meditation, praying, positive thinking is a big way in this. You, maybe you've, you're watching TV, you hear it all the time. It's very interesting, this, this spirituality idea where it says, well, the universe is telling me that I need to date her, right? You see this a lot of time on TV. Maybe you've heard this. The universe is telling me that. The universe is telling me this. Um, you know, I'm, or I'm sending positive thoughts your way. Or I'm sending positive energy your way. The goal is to reach a greater state of enlightenment, of illumination. And evil and suffering in this, in this belief system, they believe, or it teaches, evil and suffering don't exist. In fact, they are an illusion that you allow yourself to believe. It's not actually real. You're allowing yourself to believe this. An example, right? If, if somebody has cancer, don't say the C word around them. It gives the cancer power by naming it. So don't say cancer. Don't, 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 don't even talk about it. It'll give them, you know, it'll send negative energy towards the cancer and it'll, it'll give the cancer more power. In fact, positive thinking, what do you do about evil and suffering through new age? Positive thinking can defeat negative reality. 
So it's about you know, sending the good vibes out. Now, next one, also very popular in the United States, is naturalism, or evolutionary theory. And if that's, this is something that interests you, episode one, or yeah, we'll call it episode one of this series. We talk a lot about naturalism and evolutionary theory. So in, in naturalism, good and evil are categories we have, that we humans have, good and evil is a category we humans have, as a result of evolutionary processes developed in our brain circuitry over hundreds of thousands of years. We've developed these categories of good and evil. They, they're based on what was best for society and what helped us survive in a harsh environment throughout these thousands and thousands and thousands of years of our human evolution. Meaning that you know, good and evil, these concepts of good and evil, these categories of this is good, this is evil, they're artifacts of what our ancestors were forced to believe to survive. They're not necessarily true, it's just what helped us thrive and, and survive as a species. So there's no such thing as good and evil, really. We just have adap we've adapted to think that there is good and evil. Does that make sense? So the first problem, as we mentioned in episode one, The Phantom Menace. Two of you are Star Wars fans, good job. I know you're laughing online, thank you. But as we mentioned a few weeks ago in, uh, in the first episode, this logic doesn't actually hold up. And again, we're not bashing. We're looking at the belief system, not the people. It doesn't actually, doesn't actually work because it can be, this idea can be applied to the evolutionary theory as well. See, if we simply think that there's, there, there's categories of good and evil because that way of thinking that developed in us helped us survive as a society, helped us uh, survive through our evolutionary process, then we may only believe that evolutionary theory is correct because that way of thinking in some way helped us survive. It's not necessarily true. We've just evolved to think that this is a logical way to see the world. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say good and evil just you know, evolved with us. It's not necessarily true and say, well, evolutionary theory is true because it's logical and we follow the evidence. You can't have both, right? There's a second problem with this as well. And we talked about this. We talked about evolutionary theory before. Many of our moral values that we all hold, that you see throughout society, directly oppose those we would have developed to simply survive. Many of the moral values we hold dear are actually go against values that we would have needed to survive. See, the strong, the rich in evolutionary theory, right, survival of the fittest, the strong and rich in this theory should be allowed to exert their power over the weak. They're simply more fit, and they're more surviving, right? So that, that should be a good thing. We should be like, yes, they, are, they actually they have better genes. They should be the ones allowed to pass on their genes for the survival of our species. Then why does genocide and the rich exploiting the poor disgust us? Why is that? I mean... If we simply evolved for survival, that makes sense. We should just be like, no, no, I have more power and you don't. My offspring will survive and yours shouldn't. If you, if you can stop me, well, then you're stronger and you survive. So where does, that, where does that disgust come from when we talk about those types of things? I mean, it goes against what should be our natural inclination. If we're simply products of evolutionary chance, 
Think about this, we can't have moral outrage over anything because these are just, there's no like evil, there's no good. So why are you so upset that uh, you stole, that, why am I so upset that you stole my car? All you can really say is, I prefer when people don't take my stuff. Right? I mean, I'm, I prefer it because I like to have my stuff and obviously I'm too attached, right? But I prefer to have my stuff but you're stronger or smarter, right? I was, I was not smart. I didn't keep my car locked. Therefore, the car should be yours. Your, your car getting skills are stronger than my car keeping skills, right? So with naturalism, the evolutionary theory, suffering is not good or bad. It's just part of our harsh environment. There's no purpose to it. There's no reason for it. It, just, it just is. It's just what nature is. Good and evil are just products of our inherited brain circuitry. But as, as we kind of been saying, and as I think we know, even people who say good and evil are just inherited artifacts, they still hold themselves and others to a moral standard. There are things you shouldn't do, there's things I shouldn't do, and there's things I should do. Why do we have that? I would say because many people don't act consistently with their belief system. Their belief system says survival of the fittest, but they say, no, we help the weak, we help the poor. Why is that? Check out episode one. Okay, so those are the ma- some, some of the major belief systems out there, some, some other options of how to deal with evil and suffering. Well, now that we're at a Christian church, you know, we'll go a little bit more in depth with what Christianity says about evil and suffering, and it's actually a quite different approach than anything else I've seen out there. See, in Christianity, evil and suffering are a result of freedom. Evil and suffering are a result of freedom. Think about relationships, right? A good relationship, relationships don't work unless there's freedom, right? Unless you get to choose, hey, I'm choosing to love you. Right? Love is a choice. I'm choosing to put your needs above my own. I have the freedom to do that. When you force somebody to do that, that is not a good relationship, right? So relationships are based on freedom. Love only works if there's freedom. But freedom also has a dark side, as we all know. See, if you're free to choose to love, you're also free to hurt. You're also free to break relationships. You have the freedom. Our free will allows us to make choices that hurt ourselves and hurt others. So evil and suffering are a result. Evil and suffering are a result of freedom. But to end evil and suffering, Christianity doesn't say, well, okay, no, just stop using your freedom for evil. Just stop it. Right? As I think that's what a lot of people think, you know, Christianity is about. Well, just stop being bad. Right? Knock it off. The, you know, the, the nuns with the rulers type thing, right? Just stop it. And we'll talk about that next week a little bit too. See, Christianity's answer to evil and suffering is not a philosophy. It's not a group of teachings and it's not a spiritual program. Christianity's answer to evil and suffering is a person. It's Jesus. Jesus answered suffering by embracing it and dying to end it one day. 
completely different than other belief systems. Jesus answered suffering by embracing it and dying to end it someday. Now, 700 to 800 years before Jesus, a guy named the prophet Isaiah wrote a passage. We, We find it in what we call the book of Isaiah in the Jewish teachings that we call the Old Testament. And most scholars, most theologians, say that what he wrote was a foreshadow of the Jewish Messiah that Jesus claimed to be. And here's what Isaiah wrote about the, about the coming Messiah. He was despised and rejected. Remember, this is at least 700 years before Jesus. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief, saying that Jesus was acquainted, he knew he went through our deepest grief. He understood. He, he, we turned our backs on him. If you ever feel rejected, he felt rejected. Turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. See, well, obviously, if he's, if he's suffering... He did something wrong, and God is punishing him. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, and we'll talk about this next week as well, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. We've all broken what we call the law of love, right? Jesus said the top law is love God Love your neighbor as yourself. We've all broken that law. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. He never used his freedom for evil. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is, yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long... Now, it just said he was killed, right? just said he was laid in a rich man's tomb. Yet it says he will enjoy a long life. How's that? He's dead, but he's enjoying something must have happened. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees, he's seeing, he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, meaning good with God. You have a good relationship with God for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. See, Christianity teaches that God became human. Jesus was 100% God, 100% human. And he experienced all the pain and all the suffering we've experienced. Yet he never used his freedom for evil. Now let's, let's pause for a second. We said 
you know, evil and suffering are a result of freedom. Our choices are the cause of evil. Our choices are the cause of evil. So to destroy evil, what would God have to do? Destroy us. If our choices produce evil, if he wants to stop evil, why won't a good God stop evil? Well, if you want him to stop evil, he has to stop you. He has to end you. And that's why he died. See, Jesus died so that someday he can end evil and suffering without ending us. Jesus died so that someday he can completely end evil and suffering without having to end us. He died to take that punishment for our evil. He died and rose again so that we can be made new. We can have a new life through him. We can be forgiven. We can be washed clean from those choices that resulted in evil. So why does he allow suffering and evil to continue? So that you can be made new and forgiven. And since he has this much love for you, if somebody will die for you, they are for you, right? Since he has this much love for you, you can be assured, you can be positive that when you are suffering, he is in it with you because he loves you. He understands because he's been there. Side note, the word excruciating. I don't think it's, it's you know, a, an accident that excruciating actually means ex, out of, crux, cross. We get our word excruciating from what people had to go through on the cross. Pain out of the cross. He understands it. He's been through it. The God of Christianity is not distant or removed from human suffering. He entered into the entire experience and then he did something about it. And he can relate to your suffering. But there's more than that. See, we all want a reason for our suffering, don't we? Why did this happen? This was horrible. Why did I have to go through that? Why did that have to happen to them? Why? I remember when um, a few friends of ours they, they lost a baby. It, it was a healthy, perfect baby. Gave birth, complications, and they lost the baby. And I remember driving home from, from work and working at a, at a different church. Being like, God, why? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you heal that baby? Wouldn't that have shown your, your glory and your power and you know, impressed people way more than letting the baby die? Why? We all want a reason for our suffering. Most Major belief systems either say it's pointless, your suffering is pointless, naturalism, there's no reason for it, it just happens, babies die. Or it's your fault, right? If, if something evil happens to you, it's because of the evil you did in your past life, you're making up for it, or you know, you're, you're being punished. Or that this pain you're feeling, you're too attached, or it's not real, right? It's just not real pain, you're just allowing it to affect you. Christianity is different. Because it faces evil and suffering. It faces your suffering head on, face to face. It says that God not only has a reason for it, though we may, might never know it, not only has a reason for it, but that Jesus redeems our suffering. Meaning takes it and makes it turn out for good. Takes it and makes it something positive. 
makes something good come from it, gives it a purpose, redeems it. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul said when he wrote to some Roman Jesus followers. He said, and we know that in all things, and if you're a church person, you've heard this a thousand times. Don't read it that way. Read it new. And we know that in all things, how many things? The, the ones we like. All. Here's a, here's a Greek lesson for you. When they use the Greek word for all in the Bible, you know what it means? All. I know, that was bad. But anyway, so we know that in all things, even the horrible suffering, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You say, that's nice. That makes me feel good for about five minutes, and then I remember what I'm actually going through. And why, I, so I don't get an answer? Great, thanks, God. My, uh, my dad's best friend, as he was growing up, they, they, you know, they had the type of friendship, and you know, my, my dad's kind of old, sorry, Dad. But, uh, so it's like the 50s when they're growing up, right? And it's like the 50s when they're growing up. So like they would play together all day long. They'd go to each other's houses. They, you know, they wouldn't have to knock. They'd just go in and be like, what's for dinner, Mrs. G? You know, which is neither of their mom's last name. But that's the type of friendship they had, right? They were basically brothers. And this, my dad's best friend's name was Rod. And Rod would actually protect my dad when bullies would try to pick on him, that type of thing. And they grew up together. Well, Rod volunteered to go to Vietnam. He said, I need to help those the, um, you know, the, the South Vietnamese who are being taken over by the communists. I need to help. And so he volunteered to join the infantry in Vietnam. And he was killed in Vietnam. In fact, my dad just talked to somebody who, who, who knew him, who was in his unit, and was his friend. But so Rod dies. He's killed. What my dad didn't know was that before Rod volunteered, he became a Jesus follower. And he, he wrote my dad these letters about, about Jesus. And there was something different about Rod. And through this, this, this horrible, horrific death, right? Rod actually died saving other soldiers. But through this horrific death, set a chain of events, and I actually wrote my college senior thesis on this, a chain of events that changed so many lives for the better. And I, I can follow my chain where, because my dad's best friend died in Vietnam, he started asking questions. He said, you know what, God, why would you do that? My dad grew up Catholic, but didn't really know who Jesus was. Why would, why, you know, what, what is the purpose of this? Why, why did we do this? Why did we do that? You know, and, and through it, he found who Jesus really was. In fact, on the same night, he said, you know what, I want to be a Jesus follower. He met my mom, who also said, I want to be a Jesus follower, right? And so because of him searching for God through his best friend's death, he met my mom. And now I'm here, and you're welcome. <laughs> No, but, so through that, you know, my, my parents get together and they say, you know what, we need to start telling people about Jesus. That needs to be our life. And so they start a church down in California. And, you know, they have my brothers and myself. And through that, you know, now we are all doing different things to, to this is going to sound braggy. So just take me out of it. My brothers are doing things that help other people with their lives. Because of you know, lives have been changed. Think of this church that my, my dad started to help kind of changing the city. Through all of that, all because of something horrible and horrific. But you know what God did? He redeemed it. He brought good out of it. And it's not just my experience. It's not just something that, you know, like, oh, well, I, that happened to me, so I can say that. No. So, but here's the thing. Jesus is with us in our suffering, and he redeems our suffering. That is my main thing I'm trying to say tonight. Jesus is with us in our suffering, and he redeems our suffering. 
And that's not just something that I can just say because I read the Bible or because, you know, my dad's experience. This happens to people. This is truth. This really is what Jesus does with suffering. And so we asked two ladies in our church, two ladies who are, who are regular cross-creakers, to tell their story because they've been through stuff. They've seen suffering. And so we, we, had, a, we had them sit down and have a conversation. And you get to watch six minutes of it. So I want you to experience their answers to why is there evil and suffering. I lost my cancer. I lost my sister. She had leukemia and had a transplant. The strength that he gave me each week to get in my car and drive to go see her in the nursing mm-hmm. home by myself. The strength that he gave me to pray with her and what peace that gave her. Mm-hmm. You know, just there was just so much through that journey that I saw God, you know, and um, that I just really pressed into him to give me what I needed. And I often prayed that for her because I knew I couldn't give her anything. Mm-hmm. Um, God could give her everything she needed and I so wanted to take her out of that hospital bit but I couldn't you know um, so after I lost her there was a lot of peace you know, you know that peace that you get from God that you can't explain mm-hmm. he just gave me a ton of peace and there was a lot of weight lifted because um, that was such a heavy hard journey but with my mom it's totally different mm-hmm. a lot more questioning a lot more it's not understanding mm-hmm. um I think the pain of losing someone instantly is the worst that I've ever experienced. There's no time to like talk about it without a walk through with it. You're just in it. Like mm-hmm. you didn't ask for it. You didn't see it coming. Um, it's the shock, the shock of um, losing someone like that, um, and then the questioning why. You know, he um, the day before I lost her, he um, made me do with a lot of unforgiveness I didn't know I was holding. And um, God wants them to know that um, if you knew what he knew, you would ask, you would have asked him to do what he did. Hmm. And I just knew that was for me, because that was kind of my answer to why, you know. So, um, mm-hmm. But my last thing about my mom that I think that I can, that I learned is that um, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. And that's what made it so hard, because I made it about me. But when you step back and you take yourself out of it, and you, I don't think about the way it made me feel or how it affected me, but what I feel isn't always true. Mm-hmm. And it's just about my mom and her journey and mm-hmm. God's love for her and how he was, it was her time. Like, like I'm thankful for Cross Creek and our family through all this. Like, you guys were amazing. And I know that was all part of God. That was all mm-hmm. part of God's plan. Like, mm-hmm. That um, he orchestrated all that. Mm-hmm. Well, so 2015 was basically like a country song for us. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad died on January 11th. On January 23rd, <clears throat> my son was accused of a crime mm-hmm. that he didn't commit. February 14th, my mom was admitted to the hospital with she was septic, so she we almost lost her. Mm-hmm. So we had all these things like happening. Mm-hmm. I had been really sick and not feeling well, and I didn't, pregnancy was the least mm-hmm. like. It was the furthest thing away from my mind, but ultimately we were pregnant, and so I felt like sorry, mm-hmm. I felt like um, like that this was God giving us this light at the end of like this dark mm-hmm. tunnel. Um, we opted to do like genetic testing, which I never did with any of the mm-hmm. other kiddos. Mm-hmm. So we did the testing, and it took they said maximum seven days. Um, if it's bad news, they call you right away. So I was like, okay, it's obviously not bad news, it's just delaying. They called the next day and were like, we need you to come into the office. And so they said, well, 
you tested positive for um, T18 a little bit. They referred us out and they said that we can um, terminate, um, that nobody would judge us, whatever. And we said, I mean, it's a lot to take in. You're basically being told this baby you're going to deliver is not going to survive. This was, it was hard. You know, you're, you're looking at your baby in this ultrasound. And she's, we, at this point, we know it's a girl. So she's swimming around, oblivious mm -hmm. to the trisomy 18. And mm -hmm. the lady uh, told us, um, whether you terminate or whether you carry this child, your story has no happy ending. Um, and he said, well, we're, we're, we're carrying the baby, and then we switched care. And she told me I would suffer fetal demise by week 19. She was, she was born 39 weeks, so we carried 39 weeks, despite the 19-week um, fetal demise. Um, and she, she came out, she was 3 pounds, 7 ounces. She nursed. Um, she breathed on her own. She didn't need any assistance. That's just all I wanted was the 10 minutes. And he gave us seven and a half hours where we got to see her. She smiled. We got to see her smile three times mm -hmm. and, um, you know, change her diaper and just do things that we didn't think we were going to be able to do and really showed us that doctors are wise and they, you know, they have their degrees, but he is the ultimate doctor and mm -hmm. he is the ultimate decider of life. Yeah. She's already with Jesus and mm -hmm. she's perfect and she's whole. I'm not bitter about it. I'm sad because I'm a mom and I wish mm -hmm. that I was looking at my, my three-year-old right now, but um, but that's not my lot. And, um, but I'm not angry about it. And I know that he promises us that um, we get to see her again, mm -hmm. being able to trust that it was for his glory. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really, it's, it's hard um, if you're, you know, Doing a lot of the why me's, why Lord. Um, I think that's part of the process, though. Yeah. You have to say why me in order to understand why I wasn't you. Yeah. You know, it's all part of a bigger picture that we can't see. You, you can't, yeah. You know, but that's where trust comes in. And Jimmy Hunt said, maybe this journey is going to bring us to help somebody else. Maybe we won't even fully ever know, but we're seeing pieces as we look back and go, oh. Yeah, this makes sense. And we used her life for his glory. Mm -hmm. And he has. He did. And he continues to. And sometimes it's a lifelong journey, like making, I don't know about making sense of all, but like just seeing his mm -hmm. hand in it and his work in it. I had a choice. In, in a situation I didn't like and I didn't um, appreciate at all, I had to make that choice to either walk away and live with that or to trust. So Misty and Autumn, thank you so much for sharing your stories. And I just, it's amazing. See, they went through horrible experiences, yet through it, they found out God was with them. God is redeeming what was horrible, redeeming it for something good. What would happen if you allowed God to redeem the suffering and pain you've had? What if you actually, instead of blaming him for it, invited him into it? I mean, you might never know why. We might never know why that happened, why you had to go through what you have, but you can know, just as these ladies know, that Jesus is in it with you, and he will use it for good. So what is your current belief system doing to answer your 
pain and suffering? Is it blaming you for it? Is it telling you it's not real? Is it telling you it's pointless and there's, there's no reason you should expect any better? Is this something maybe you've never even thought of? See, every belief system has to answer this question. And the Christian answer is this. The God who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. The God who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. He is in it with you. He will use it for good. So what I want to do, we have no minutes, but that's okay. The, the children's department's used to it. I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to sing a song. You can sing if you want. You don't have to sing. But just to kind of think, reflect a little bit. Have you allowed, ask yourself this question, and you're safe. Have you allowed your pain and your suffering to push you away from God or to push you toward God? See, suffering, pain never leaves us spiritually neutral. Either pushes us to God or pushes us away from God. Are you willing to invite Jesus into your suffering? Are you willing to invite Jesus into your pain and let him redeem it? Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's time to trust him with your whole life. Not just your pain and your suffering, but the good and the bad. Give it all to him and choose to accept his forgiveness that he wants to give you. So I'm going to invite Patrick up. I'm also going to invite Lori up. Uh, Patrick will be over here and Lori will be over there. And if there's something you want to pray about, you would say, I want to give Jesus this, this pain. Or you know, I just want to say thank you to God for this. And I want somebody to say it with me. Come to these, these two. Usually we have, you know, guys, girls, ladies. But if, there's, if you want to pray, you want to say, God, you know, I don't understand why, but I want to have you with me in this. Come and pray with them as we sing. And then I'll sing and I'll come talk in a little bit. So whatever it is, he is in it with you and he can redeem it. He can make it good. So what we're going to do, we uh, a little bit different. We're going to leave the lights kind of how they are. And I'm going to ask Patrick and I'm going to ask Lori to kind of stick around. I know it can be awkward to be like, hey, I want to pray with you. Everybody's facing forward. So if there's something you want to pray about, it doesn't have to be pain and suffering, but it's something you want to talk to God about and have somebody with you, Lori will be here and Patrick will be here. And then the rest of us can go have snacks. We'll save you some and we'll make sure your kids are taken care of. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about the problem of hypocrisy. Now, how can I believe Christianity when, I mean, look at the Crusades, look at the Inquisition. How, how could that be the truth? Look at all the hypocrites in the church. We'll talk about you. So, <laughs> we will see you next week. And if you're watching online, thank you. And have a great week, guys. Thanks.